Radical Secular, a podcast dedicated to the separation of church and state and the pursuit of justice. Email us at theradicalsecular at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at radical underscore secular. Follow us on Twitter at radical secular. For full video episodes, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Hello and welcome back to The Radical Secular. I'm Christoph Defoe. I'm Sean Prophet. We're joined today by two veterans of the United States Marine Corps, Chuck Sweet and Don Ramirez, for a conversation about the experience of being progressive in the military, the relationship between civilians and the military in modern America, and the role of the military power in making human civilization possible. But first, Sean and I will react to the Biden-Harris inauguration. We'll discuss Josh Hawley as representative of the ongoing infiltration of Christian nationalism in American politics. And we'll honor the life and legacy of baseball legend Hank Aaron. But before we get into any of that, I want to remind you to make sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts and write us a review. Tell your friends and family about our show, Words of Mouth Matter. Okay, now this is normally where we'd be doing the t-shirts, but we're going to be doing that in our guest segment. So let's just hop right into the news, and we are going to talk about the inauguration. So let's do, but before we even get into any of of that, let's briefly discuss the hilarious spectacle of Trump's departure before the inauguration. (laughs) So Trump left the Washington, D.C. area for the first, for the last time as commander in chief early last Wednesday, becoming the first outgoing president in a century to boycott the inauguration of his successor. As the village people's YMCA began to play in the background, Trump said to the incredibly small crowd, and I quote, just a goodbye. We love you. We will be back in some form. Have a good life. We will see you soon. End quote. Sean, how fucking satisfying was it to watch Trump depart DC in disgrace? Ah, it was, it was really great. It was, I mean, it was kind (laughs) of surreal actually. It hasn't really sunk in. Um, You know, there was all this, the, the memes were actually funnier of him of, like sitting there and having his chair wheeled out from behind the desk <laughs> and hauled away. But it, but what actually happened was pretty funny because, um, you know, normally there is this handshake and this deference and this respect. But he walked out early in the morning like, screw you guys, I'm going home. You know, that's <laughs> basically what he was at that point. Um, and, and the funniest bit is like how over it melania is mm-hmm. you know uh, uh trump is still really in denial he keeps talking about some kind of comeback but not yet he's like stay tuned he's he's a showman to the end and he's a showman even when he's just completely defeated uh, he, he has no concept of how damaged his brand is or the kind of trouble he is facing and you know <laughs> He's had the full weight of the federal government behind his words. He doesn't understand that the that's the only reason people were listening to him. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> and so now he doesn't have Twitter. He doesn't have the federal government. Um, he's lost a lot of friends, um, you know, and I'm super glad to see him go. But the kids are who I'm really, really glad to see go. I mean, Ugh. not having to, 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 to care what Don Jr. or Eric Ugh or Tiffany, or, you know, any of these people, or Kimberly Guilfoyle, you know, is going to say, like, <laughs> it's just, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. And uh, I don't know if you saw the Home Alone memes about Barron, right? Because Oh, no, I didn't see them. I didn't see them. I got I to gotta check it out. 
Baron was missing as they all got on the plane and that shot of like that the kids are basically they're all crying, you know. Right. But right. Where's where's Baron? You know? <laughs> <laughs> right. What what happened to the kid? I mean, like he's not there. I mean, they, they sent him home on another plane. Why does he get does he get to go on Air Force One? I don't know. He's, you know, he's the only one I have any real sympathy for. We'll Me see too. if he ha- he figures out how to have an independent life or he gets mm-hmm. sucked into the whole Trump maelstrom. I mean, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. And I wonder about that because you know, he's going to grow up with a Trump brand that's tarnished. Right. Mm -hmm. They all grew up in the Trump brand as like a darling of New York City. No one really fully knew him. And everyone just kind of like, oh, that playboy who crashed a bunch of companies into the ground. But he's just a playboy and who cares what he's doing. But now the MAGA brand is fucked or the Trump brand is toxic. Right. And Mm -hmm. and uh, who knows how they make money going forward. It'll be really interesting to see whether or not he spins off, you know, like, isn't there I'm trying to think of who it was Oh, like Kelly on Kellyanne Conway's kid hates her, for example, right? Oh like, my God, that's hates a, her. <laughs> that's its own whole reality show now, right? Yeah. I mean, she's <laughs> apparently threatened to release hours of footage of her mom screaming at her, which I think would be wow. incredibly entertaining. That really, really would be. And 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 I wonder if you see Baron Trump growing up, he's going to go to all these big private schools, right? And like amazing mm-hmm. schools, and he's going to, and everyone's going to be like, "Wait, your dad." <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, is that shithead, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you bear Baron Trump? Oh, it's yeah. you. <laughs> and with a name like Baron, right? It's like, oh. you know, it's, oh, it's boy. just. It's like it's as stupid as it's as stupid as Ivanka is, right? It's like it's it's like it's it it feels tacky, you know, in the same way that those kind of names do, like tacky and cheesy and gold and and gold escalators and all of that shit, you know. Um, I think for me, it was I, I uh, as I watched that his little talk. Uh, you know, I remembered 2017 this time in 2017, right? And it, I was terrified. Everything felt hopeless. The MAGA movement seemed sort of unstoppable, and Trump seemed like a big deal. He was. He was a, a serious mm-hmm. threat, right? Um, and now watching him, like you were saying, just be, just be, just pathetic, and 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 just seems so small and and move leaving flying away and the cnn crew is kind of making fun of him right as mm-hmm. like you can literally hear the cnn crew chuckling in the background as the plane takes off right yeah this it was the most fitting end to the most most just it was just he had lo- any right you said earlier the only reason why anybody took him seriously was because he was president, right? And now right. no one takes him seriously. He's just nobody now that no one thinks or cares about. Well, I mean, and people were scared of his base. Mm-hmm. That You cannot separate the Trump presidency from the threat of civil war. Because exactly. this is why all the news commentators, anybody interviewing him, would always ask him, will you concede? Because the implied threat from Trumpism from the very beginning is that he was not going to uh, cooperate with the peaceful transfer of power. And in fact, he didn't. And in fact, he did not. Exactly. Exactly. This was he telegraphed this for I mean, since the very beginning. Right. As soon as he won, the question became when 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 20 uh, when 2020 shows up, what is he going to do? And look, he um, he did exactly what he said he was going to do. I thought. Um, oh, go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. People were worried about him not conceding 
before he even became president. I mean, that was a question <laughs> that's right. during the debate in 2016. Oh, Hillary. yes, it's that's like, right. Of course, of course. That's right. If you lose, will you concede? People were thinking that he would not concede the race before he was president. Right. It's like, that's right. <sighs> and he wouldn't have. Now we know he definitely wouldn't have. No. You know, he definitely wouldn't have. And it's so, it really sucks that. It sucks for women. It sucks for Hillary Clinton that she had to that she because she told us all of exactly that this would happen. Right. Everything. Everything. She said exactly that this would happen. And it did. And 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 she is get it gets very little credit for that. And we had to and she should have been she should be president right now. She should have been running for reelection and reelect and been reelected right now. Right like now. that's that's what that's the world we should be ideally would be living in if not for the Trump phenomenon. And it took the Trump phenomenon to bring the shittiness of the right wing, the the right wing of the of, of the GOP and the GOP in general, the rot to mm-hmm. bring that up to the surface. And and unfortunately, Hillary Clinton paid the price. And look, she did with her universal health care thing back in the 90s. She almost she in a sense, she incensed uh, Hillary care. She incensed in, in a way laid the foundation for the Obamacare down the road. And this is the second time in which she has dedicated herself, has 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 jumped on a grenade in some way for our country. Right. And as in real public servant here and right. and, is, and never fully recognized for that. No, I, I think that she is, I have my quibbles with her like I do with of course. anyone. I have my quibbles with President Obama. But Absolutely. The two of them are two of the greatest Americans mm-hmm. in my lifetime. And exactly right. I, you know, the idea that, that one of them got robbed of what could have been a great two-term presidency uh, is tr- not only a tragedy for her, but for the nation. I mean, it's like, it's our loss. The globe, like, the globe, right? The world, yeah, for sure. The climate. I mean, everything Mm -hmm. just tragic, tragic. Um, And to end this little segment on a on a funny note is I I was on Twitter. uh, uh, Scaramucci, remember him, the mooch? Yeah, Uh, he he tweeted that he got an email blast. Uh, uh, inviting him to the to the Trump departure party. And he was like, if I got the email blast, you know, they were <laughs> scraping the bottom of the barrel to get people to show up and, and nobody wanted to go. I love it. I forget uh, uh, who said that something along the lines of there were more people at the opening of an Apple store than said goodbye to Trump. Uh, fucking hilarious <laughs> yeah uh, that felt so good it really it really did I re- despite all the horror that we've had to live through and f- um, 450,000 people dead 425,000 people dead uh you know uh, the gallows humor as we always say you know um so let, let's talk about the inauguration itself now um as mm-hmm. everybody knows joe biden and kamala harris were sworn in last week as president and vice president of the united states of america putting a stop to america's national trump nightmare the day was historic for all the reasons inauguration day is always historic but also because this inauguration took place in the midst of a deadly pandemic featured the swearing in of america's first woman vice president and marked the end of arguably the worst presidency in American history. Sean, how much relief did you feel when you finally watched President Biden get sworn into office? Well, let me just say that, you know, I was um, 
I've been watching the countdown, the inauguration countdown clock for days because there was always that fear in the back of my mind mm. that somehow he was going to there's going to be this last minute coup. You know, the my pillow guy shows up with the with the idea of martial law is still being Crazy. floated three days before the inauguration, things like that. And when it really became real for me was when I saw those flags and those lights by the reflecting pool of mm. the Washington Monument and then they came out and they had that moment of silence and gave those speeches about the victims of COVID. And it's like, okay. And then you saw the flags, all the, the, the 200,000 flags, which was half the number of COVID victims, by the way. Insane. Okay. So you saw all of those on the national mall. And when that moment of silence happened, I felt like that was the moment when I was able to breathe again. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I still have post-Trump stress disorder. The whole thing still hasn't sunk in. I find myself, you know, honestly worried at this point about whether we're going to be able to pass legislation. Mm -hmm. um, I'm concerned about delivering to the American people before the midterms. Um, so it was great to watch. I enjoyed every part of the inauguration. I think that, you know, that Lady Gaga was 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 fantastic. And I really loved the, the poetry. Um, I loved just the pageantry of it, mm -hmm. seeing this in the same place, imagining because I spent hours watching the footage of the insurrection at that same exact location. So it was like it was like washing my eyes clean of this mm. horrible spectacle. Um, you know, I'm still full of anxiety about American fascism because we saw how bad it can get. But we have a reprieve. That's all I know. And it does feel really good to savor the moment. Uh, the biggest thing is this immediate kind of change in tone. Mm -hmm. I know that Biden's going to clean house. So that's all positive. But it's still it still hasn't quite sunk in. Yeah. Yeah, man. It was. it, Yeah. I agree with 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 what you said uh, in, in almost in general. Um, it was a really interesting experience for me. It's, it was definitely surreal. The, the watching the event itself, the panning over to to uh, to Pence from time to time, especially when he mentioned the about facts and not lying mm -hmm. and they would they would pan over to, to Pence, who is just like a liar for a living. Right. Um, and everybody knows that except for him, I guess. Um, and uh, I, I thought that the the the, the uh, poet laureate was outstanding. I one of our uh, person that listens to our show a lot. Her name is Stephanie. Um, not the Stephanie that's going to be coming on in a couple of weeks. Another Stephanie. Um, she said, and a black woman, and she said to to me online, or she posted online that like this is one of the first times I I saw really saw myself reflected in the uh, in the inauguration. Right. It really felt like they did a lot they went out of their way to make it right the, the port laureates is black woman right this young black woman with the braids and the whole nine yards right mm -hmm. and you had the, the the reverend that comes on a black guy and i have my qualms with him and i'll talk about that in a minute mm -hmm. but nevertheless um it, it I, I thought that was all very powerful like it was really well done given the the circumstances under which they had to do it right the COVID 19 thing and everything else so um the bernie memes uh i know you hate the <laughs> bernie memes. i Dude. thought they were hilarious although it's now overkill to be sure it's now overkill to be sure I, look i mean 
Okay. It just, it's, it's over the top. It's over the top. <laughs> and you know, I, I look, I'm not going to lie. I know that I am, I am a major outlier when it comes to humor. Uh-huh. My sense of humor is completely not in the mainstream of American humor. Uh, I mean, if there's a bell curve, I'm just way, I'm, I'm not even on the screen. Okay. <laughs> when it comes to humor, the sh- I, I laugh more. I laugh at dramas. I don't laugh at comedy. Oh, interesting. You know, interesting. I find un- things that are unintentionally funny to be m- much funnier than than people who are trying to be funny. Uh, I I love black humor. Black humor is is by far and away. And so I hate puns. Mm-hmm. I hate visual puns. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I I think all this shit is so lowbrow. And the whole Bernie thing. I mean, you can't stop viral memes, and there's right. no use in trying. But what what you can do is you can sort of observe what this says about us, because this is a mirror that is being held up to us. Now, look, if anybody wants to is having fun with these, you know, knock yourselves out, have fun. But realize that what this moment was, was not about Bernie. This moment was about Kamala Harris. And this moment was about Joe Biden. And 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 it was about Obama and it was about Hillary Clinton. It was about the entire lineage of progress that we have in this nation. Uh, Bernie has some good policies and he's stands for all the right things. And I voted for him in the primary. Okay. Mm -hmm. But he lost both primaries. The last two elections, black people chose Joe Biden. And so this is almost a backlash in a way, maybe subconsciously Mm -hmm. says a lot about America that it's losing its shit. Millions of millions and millions of these Bernie memes are shared, putting him into every moment in history, right? Well, what about putting Kamala Harris into every moment in history? Okay. So it is really, again, in the negative space. And I catch a lot of flack for this, I'm sure, from people who watch the show. And I've caught a lot of flack for it online. People are telling me to lighten up and all this kind of thing. And um, yeah, I've just, no, I'm over it. No, fair enough. Fair enough. I, I I think the Bernie memes are funny. Um, I, I the, again, I think it's overkill now. Um, mm-hmm. uh, they were really at the very at the beginning. It was very funny. It's very. Uh, this is just for me. It's very like just because it's so Bernie Sanders, right? He's wearing mm-hmm. the coat. Uh, yeah. He's wearing the he's wearing the mittens. The whole fucking thing. But I but <laughs> I, but you know like the, that that some school teacher you know, uh, uh, so, sewed for him out of, out of repurposed wool and re, re and, and recycled plastic. It's like, of <laughs> course it's Bernie Sanders. It's like, what? Come on. Like, it, it, it's like, is he, is he to come with, with a cup of green mountain coffee also? And this is total I mean, prairie home companion. I mean, <laughs> it's just, and again, not a show I ever listened to or watched because Me neither. that's not I, my I think- kind of humor. Yeah, yeah, I don't think that show is funny. I, I, I'm also in terms of my humor. I, I have, think I have a pretty wide ranging humor. I, I always laugh because I, I laugh at a lot because I think language is very funny. So, um, and I and so I am listening to a book right now called, um, uh, well, several of them. But oh, oh, you know what? I, it, it doesn't matter what I'm listening to. But anyway, it's, it's read by a British guy, and the British sort of dry way of delivering lines just sort of just cracks me up. So I'll just be like washing dishes and just laughing to myself mm-hmm. as I'm listening to a book about neoliberalism, right? It's, there's, there's <laughs> nothing, there's nothing fucking funny about neoliberalism, right? right. But, but it's, but the delivery of the lines are, the, are this dry sort of uh, these dry, almost sort of quasi comical, but it's like, 
again, I see what both points I'm trying to get what I'm getting at is that I see what you're saying, right? Mm-hmm. Like that kind of stuff is way funnier than deliberate jokes have most of the time. Listen, I crack um, up five or 10 times every time I watch a Star Trek episode about things that weren't meant to be funny. Right. Right. Just right, the right. delivery of certain lines or the way a certain certain shot is set up or uh, a certain character. I mean, I crack up about CNN. We have this little game that we play where whether it's whether it's Don Lemon or or Van Jones or Chris uh-huh. Cuomo, they all have their little ticks. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. We watch them so much that you know, that that it's almost like it's it's a like a little bit of a drinking game. Although we're not taking, <laughs> we're not doing shots, but it's like right, right, oh, right. Here goes Van Jones. <laughs> you know, <It's> like, <laughs> right there goes his little shtick. Right. You yeah, know, like, yeah. Like, they all have their little thing that they do. It's like. All right, yeah. here it goes, right? <laughs> and, and I love I love all those guys. Don't yeah, get me, me wrong. Yeah, me too, me too, me too. I think but they're all great. Yeah. I it really enjoy unintentional humor. Yeah. Although Van Jones just annoyed me with his like peace and love stuff for the same reason that um with the same reason that uh what's his face? Um the other bald black guy who is a uh, senator from New Jersey, uh, Cory Booker, Cory Booker. Mm-hmm. And like he like the peace and love shit from them, from the two yeah. of them kind of annoys me. But they're both but obviously uh, both brilliant guys. Um, mm-hmm. So in, in terms of the the inauguration itself. Right. So um, I was I wasn't ever really, really that worried about Trump, not about Trump, not stealing the election or whatever. My catharsis, I think, for me, really began at the beginning when, when Biden was declared the winner. And I think in a lot of ways, I, I what I really threw up my hands and ran around the room was at when we won the Georgia special election, because I really didn't think we were going to win that. I didn't either. And, 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 and that was a that was a shock to me, actually, that we won. Like I thought I I, I saw that as a foregone conclusion. Did What did you think? Well, we were watching it that night. And what I have found is that for election night coverage, the New York Times needle mm-hmm. is absolutely it nails it. OK, because mm-hmm. there was on the presidential election night, I was watching the needle from the New York Times and it accurately predicted that Biden was going to win Georgia. Interesting. And I was like, I was like, wow, that's a pretty ballsy call because, you know, so much of the vote hadn't been counted and everything else like that. And I think it had him at like a 0.3% margin or something, whatever it was. And it ended up being almost exactly that. So when the special election came on, they had both races completely nailed on the needle. And what they do is they go and they count all the available votes based on voter registration. And then they look at what's come in versus what's expected to come in. And so early on in the night, you know, when people were all saying it was too close to call, Mm-hmm. I'd already called it. I called it on Facebook at like 8 p.m. I remember that, actually. I remember that. Yes, yes, I do remember that. And uh, and uh, who else? Someone else called it. I think Sean King, you know, Sean King mm-hmm. for, you know, mm-hmm. from the Internet. Um, he also kind of annoys me for different reasons, although I think, <laughs> you know, that I could get into that. But that's a whole different topic. Um, but um Maybe because I, I maybe it bothers me. I'm like a, a, a black person. He's a person of color too. You know, who also annoys me in, this, in the same way as Tanazi Tanazi Coates. There's uh-huh. something about it, like, I, and and maybe it's just me being critical of other black people because I feel like I can be. But it, but I mean, I understand what they're saying, and of course, I agree with them in most ways. But I but I there's something overly dramatic about it from there that I hear from them that draw that that annoys me. And and that, you know what I think it is. You know, I think it is. I think I think it is that there's um, we've gone back. We've talked about this before, about how much religion is a part of the the civil rights movement. Black. Yes, uh, that's very true. And so you get that sort of 
love your enemies kind of approach that MLK had mm -hmm, and all of those mm -hmm. things really, really comes through and in some cases becomes a little bit of accommodationism. Yeah, I think that's right. And there's definitely that element of it. There's also just this, you know, I I, I think that especially Todd Nazi Coates, right, that like the tone of, of how he writes and how he talks is like this just... First of all, I hate the there is no hope approach, which is definitely <laughs> the Todd Nasty Coates approach that like white people are irredeemable and and the United States is irredeemable and there's nothing we can do about it. And and I think there's a there's a balance between like incisively identifying the problem and being mm -hmm. and being very clear eyed about that, but also not just like lumping a bunch of people into a bucket and saying like, well, America is just completely fucked and um, and there's and it's hopeless. Right. That That's what I always walk away from 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 Todd Nazi codes It's like it's hopeless. So let's just talk, let's just write very sad books about it. Well, I, well, I'll tell you what I've I've read Tana Hisi Coates and Me too. Um, he's a great I writer, by the way, like an outstanding writer by any standard. As a white person, mm -hmm. he taught me a lot about, you know, a widespread black perspective that I wasn't sure. aware of. Sure. And so I was grateful for that. And but I, I agree that, you know, there's when you have these you have all these different strains of thought coming together. And it's important for me to recognize that the black community is by no means monolithic. Right. And that there are all these different perspectives that you have to take into account. And so it was helpful for me coming to my stance of anti-racism. Sure. You know, he was just another voice that helped that came together in the stream that that convinced me that this is something that I needed to take a major stand about. Yeah, that that's that's important. And uh, by by the way, everybody out there, I am not saying you should not read Todd Nazi Coates. I think you absolutely should fucking read him. He is outstanding. He is smart. He has a lot of good things to say. I'm really nitpicking here, right? I'm really splitting hairs because I think about this stuff all the time. And so, and I think about, I think a lot about how to approach this with white people, how to approach this with people, a lot with uh, with society in in general and the problem. And so, I and I disagree in some ways in terms of his approach. And, and and on one end and on the other end, I, I disagree with the Van Jones approach um, and the, the Cory Booker love your neighbor type approach. Although, again, mm -hmm. I'm not saying don't love your neighbor. Don't misquote me. I'm not saying that. Um, I'm not saying MLK did not have some like was wrong. I'm just saying that there is I think it overlooks some complexity on the Todd Nazi coat side and on the. MLK side overlooks some complexity. So I guess that's sort of kind of a side note here. Um, but it does it does kind of dovetail a little bit in terms of one of the problems that I had with the inauguration. Um, and that was, um, first of all, I had an issue, my primary issue, and this is my main issue was with the uh, the reverend that came up to do the benediction. And why do I have a problem with him? I have a problem with him because I have a problem with religious displays in general, but that's one matter. But more specifically, and I don't know if anybody picked this up and I might be being too sensitive about this, but he went and he like multiple times throughout his speech, he said this like right. The theme of the entire day was unity. Right. Mm -hmm. And he goes and he says things like. No matter all of us Americans, no matter of your color, your creed, your uh, whatever, like oh, your religion, all these different things. Then he's, but then he says your choices. And I'm said, wait, your choices. And I thought if he said that once I would have blown it off, but he said it like three times, every time he used the groups, right? Like in any speech, Obama would say, no matter your color, your creed, who you choose to love, right? That's how you approach 
uh, like including LGBTQ people in that discussion. Mm-hmm. What I heard from him was choices. And I wonder, and again, maybe I'm being a little paranoid here, but as a, a black Southern reverend, this guy may not be really on board with LGBTQ folks, right? There's a uh, there's a high chance that that is true, right? And I wonder if that was something that, like, that was how he, if he wouldn't want to include them at all, and maybe choices was as close as he could, but that was sort of a compromise. What do you think about it? Am I being crazy? Well, you know, I, I don't know anything about his political stance, okay? But what I do Maybe. know is that there is a broad stream within Christianity, love the sinner, hate the sin, right? Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. like, uh, they, it's the same way that a, lot, that a lot of Catholics approach abortion, for example. There are these things that they haven't made peace with, they can't get behind them, but they are willing to still treat those people as human beings. That's right. kind of, I th- it's like half equality. It's not real, yeah. you, you know, because to, to me, I'm, you know, I'm like, I'm like passionately pro LGBT. I'm Same. passionately pro abortion because I think abortion is a public good. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't understand anyone who think who who thinks that they have any call to judge anyone for any of that. So, you know, but there's there's a lot of religious people who are in the leadership who have tried to have it both ways. Yeah. Yeah. Try and walk that line. Right. In fact, Obama in, on the front end, right, mm-hmm. when he ran um, and this was pre um, pre marriage equality, obviously, because that happened during his second second term, I think a second term. Um, but, you know, he was famously famously uh, anti gay marriage. And mm-hmm. was he really anti gay marriage or was he just like he thought it was politically uh, it was politically important that he was, he was- and, you know? Pulling up to see which way the political wind is blowing, right? Yeah, that and 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 you could criticize him for that. I mean, there's good reason to criticize him for that. Um, but but it goes to your point, which is that people try to uh, or straddle both camps. And mm-hmm. I kind of think when you try to st- straddle both camps, you end up achieving very little, right? I, I I think that you you take a position and and stick by it. I I don't know. I, maybe that's just me. But well, that's our that's our position on this entire show is that. We are. We tend to be much more uh, morally and ethically absolute about mm-hmm. about. Th- there's right and there's wrong. There's exactly civilization. There's barbarism. And if you're not on board with fully with civilization, you know you've got L- you've got you got some housekeeping cleaning to do. Agreed. And and this is where I stand right on 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 the LGBTQ question. And I wasn't always this way. It was an evolution for me over the course of I don't know 15, 10, 15 years. But I'm at a position right now where I there is no ethical or moral basis to distinguish between racism and homophobia. There is none. absolutely none. And people make this distinction all the time. All the time people make this distinction as if like Oh, no. Uh, you know, and by the way, the law even makes this distinction. Right. It's like mm-hmm. el- homophobia is not as bad somehow as racism is. Right. And, and it's even there's even more categories. It's like transphobia is yet another category. Exactly. It's being split off from homophobia, which is being split off from racism, which is being yep. split off from sexism. Exactly. Right? And and I and we on this show, I mean, I don't I, obviously I don't have to tell you this, but and I don't have to listen tell our listeners this on this show. We can't find there is no. There is no reasonable basis upon which to make those distinctions. All you're doing is trying to protect 
your, you know, your biases, your, your, your bigotry and, uh, and not have to face yourself, right. Not have Mm -hmm. to look inside and really parse out your ethics. So when people say to my, when I hear it, like my, like uh, people in my family take this position, um, all the time, which is like, yeah, well, you know, uh, how is LGBTQ, um, uh, equality, a a, 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 civil rights issue. And I'm like, what are you fucking talking about? You're literally black. You, yeah. you know, how do you make these? So anyway, these sort of distinctions are, are, are troubling. And, and when I hear choices coming from a Southern reverend, I uh, it, it it causes me a little bit. It, it makes me bristle a little bit. Um, also, hearing the uh, uh, that long ass prayer from from the from up up at that uh, behind that podium made me bristle as well. But again, in general, as we were we've been talking about, the inauguration was great. It was just nice to know that there is confident uh, competent adults running our government again, <laughs> that people that are taking pandemics seriously, that we don't have an idiot, misogynist, just that the president actually cares about the job, right? That that is new now. That is like, wow, refreshing, you know? Absolutely. I mean, look, it's just the idea that we don't have a White House press secretary who is going to <laughs> lie every time she opens her mouth you know, it was one thing to have the president lie, but this is somebody who is she. I mean, they just kept getting progressively worse. Mm-hmm. 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 They played the clip of Sean Spicer and, you know, it's like <laughs> the largest inauguration period. Right. <laughs> but it never changed. It never changed, because if you're going to have a liar in the top job, you're going to have to have everybody underneath him lying to the American people. And it, it just, it corroded everything. I mean, it's, it's almost indescribable what it feels like now to not have to worry about that. I know. And not have to, and not have to worry about Twitter and, and just to know that there are, there are competent people running shit and, and that the, the machinations of, or, or who got, you know, uh, who got kicked out of the administration or who it got arrested for crimes, literal mm-hmm. crimes, right? Um, that there isn't an investigation into, uh, into, into, into election interference. Like all this stuff is just, I mean, even in the most abnormal time in my entire lifetime politically um, and in terms of the country, it still feels more like a return to something of sanity. And that is there. There is some real value there, Sean. There's some real fucking value there. Well, and Uh, we're going to really see it because we're going to see there's going to be a lot of excavation, a lot of postmortems. I mean, we haven't even begun to scratch the surface yet on the insurrection. The insurrection Mm -hmm. investigation is going to be huge. There are going to be all kinds of things uncovered in agencies as, you know, Trump appointees get tossed out on their ass and, you know, a lot of the people who are embedded in the civil service now who are going to have to be rooted out and fired for cause. So mm-hmm. there's going to be a lot of cases made against these people. They're probably going to sue under civil service protections, things like that. I mean, it's just going to be it's going to be a, a 12 to 18 month process to sort of fumigate the the government, because remember, the federal government has two million people working for it. 
Right, right, exactly. And that's a fumigate is a really great way to put it, right? Because they literally because that's what they did with the White House, right? They essentially fumigated mm -hmm. it. And and that's what's going to have to happen because there we had an infestation in our government. And now we and it had to be fumigated and and, and pushed out. Um, and, and, and speaking of insurrection, let's talk about um, the theocrat, Josh, uh, Josh Hawley. Oh, my uh, God. Junior United States Senator from Missouri, also an incorrigible theocrat. He believes that democracy and the rule of law are subordinate to Christianity. I'll read an excerpt now from a really excellent New York Times opinion piece that uh, really exposed Hawley's worldview. Just so you, everybody knows what the kind of person we're talking about here, we're not talking about some sort of batshit guy um, in the House of Representatives. We're talking about a United States Senator, right? Um, Mr. Hawley cited unapprovingly the late Justice Anthony Kennedy's words in the Supreme Court's 1992 opinion in Planned Parenthood for is Casey. Quote, at the heart of liberty, Justice Kennedy wrote, is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of human life. The fifth century church fathers were right to condemn this terrifying variety of heresy, Mr. Mr. Hawley argued, replacing it and repairing the harm that it's caused is one of the challenges of our day. In other words, Mr. Hawley's idea of freedom is the freedom to conform to what he and his preferred religious act authorities know to be right. Hawley is not, sh is not shy about making the point explicit. In a 2017 speech to the American Renewal Project, he declared, paraphrasing the Dutch Reformed theologian and one-time prime minister, Abra Abraham Kuyper, there is not one square inch of all creation over which Jesus Christ is not Lord. Kupier is, and I hope I'm saying that right, Kaya Kupier, whatever, is, is perhaps known for, best known for his claim that Christianity has the sole legitimate authority over all as aspects of human life. And I, I wanted to make sure that when I read the opinion article that I wasn't misrepresenting Hawley's position. So I listened to the speech that he delivered at the American Renewal Project. And it turns out that Hawley is not only a theocrat, he's also a lying theocrat, which I guess is sort of oxy, right? <laughs> that means the same thing, right? So um, <laughs> in, the, in the speech, Hawley references a case he helped argue before the United States Supreme Court. The case, is, the case was named Hosanna Tabor Evangelical Lutheran Church and School versus the Equal Opportunity Commission in which the court ruled in a nine to zero opinion that the establishment the establishment and free exercise clauses of the first amendment bar suits brought on behalf of ministers against their churches claiming termination in violation of employment discrimination laws moreover because the respondent in that case was a minister within the meaning of the ministerial exception the first amendment required dismissal of her employment discrimination suit against a religious employer now in the speech Hawley expresses his disgust that the administration argued in an amicus brief, the Obama administration, that is, that churches are like any other social club and should not be afforded special treatment under the Constitution. Woo! Great position. Yes. Um, Hawley says expressly and misleadingly that the, that, that the Supreme Court ruled in Hosanna that the churches are specifically protected by, specially protected by the United States Constitution. In fact, the court held that the Establishment Clause prevents the government from appointing ministers and the Free Exercise Clause prevents it from interfering with their religious, with the freedom of religious groups to select their own. This is not the same thing as Hawley's more, much broader claim that SCOTUS 
held that churches aren't subject to the rule of law under the Constitution. So in his speech, he basically says, we won by saying that the that the that churches are not subject to the Constitution, which is just not true and really dishonest. But of course, what else do we expect from a theocrat? Sean, have at it. Oh God, there's just so much to unpack there. And so they much. they do this tap dance constantly. They want, and this goes back to the whole libertarian thing about whether the law protects or binds, right? Mm-hmm. Because they want the protection without being bound, just like yep. just like every shithead libertarian. Yeah, they want the protection without being bound, without and the accountability. The 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 you know the the disingenuousness of trying to make an argument that civil rights law doesn't apply to churches. Mm-hmm. All that is is you know if they were honest, they would have to admit that they want the right to discriminate. Exactly. It's, it's the right to discriminate. That's all it is because they're not saying the government is not telling them how to worship. The government is just saying, you know, you have to hire someone, whether they're gay or not, whether they believe or not, as long as they can do their job. You can't fire someone uh, without cause. And, you know, they're telling churches being gay is not cause. Um, right. You know, not not believing in the Bible in the particular way that you think they should believe in the Bible is not cause for termination. And if you're an employer that has more than 25 employees subject to Equal Employment Opportunity Commission rules, that you have to abide by those rules just like everyone else. And this is this is the essence of theocracy is carving mm-hmm. out these special exemptions. They want religious freedom and they go to all the all this trouble, you know, the Thomas More Society and all these the, these groups, the uh, American Center for Law and Justice, all these religious lobbying groups. OK, they, they're going to all this trouble to carve out. Uh, exceptions for themselves. And these are exceptions that they do not want to grant to Muslims or to Jews or to other less popular religious groups like the Church of Satan, for example. Mm-hmm. Okay. They don't want, they're not, they're not arguing for religious freedom. They're arguing for Christian privilege. And, you know, uh, so Christian privilege, that's exactly right. Christian fucking privilege, man. That, that, that's it. That's exactly what they're arguing for. Same thing with, you know, if, if you're uh, a pharmacist wants to be able to cite his Christian beliefs uh, uh, and and not sell birth control to women or, you know, the, the Catholic organizations don't want to have to provide birth control in their insurance plans. Right. Well, there's just no call for that. There's mm-hmm. you can't justify that on any basis. Right? right. Because what if I belong to a religion that says you have to provide birth control? Exactly. What if I belong to a religion like the Church of Satan that says that, you know, abortion is a sacrament or whatever the whatever the hell, right? There mm-hmm. are <laughs> you can make anything a religious ritual or you can make anything prohibited by your by religion and therefore it, 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 theocracy makes laws meaningless. We say this until we're blue in the face, but I, I want to talk also about what has, you know, Holly has screwed himself when it comes to his approval rating with these, which makes me so makes me so fucking happy because fuck yeah. this guy. Yeah, because <clears throat> what it comes down to is that the support, his support for insurrection, is not separate from his theocracy. It's the mm-hmm. same dishonest shit that uh, we have the right to declare an election invalid because we don't like the results. You know, um, so let me read something about what's happened to his approval rating. 
The Kansas yeah. City Star says a plurality of Missouri voters disapprove of Republican Senator Josh Hawley two weeks after the U.S. Capitol riot, according to a new poll. The January 18th survey of 743 registered voters found that 49% disapprove of Hawley, the state's junior senator, compared to 36% who approve, 36% who approve of his job performance, according to the Morning Consult. That amounts to a 12-point negative swing in Hawley's net favor- favorability since the day before the January 6th insurrection. It is also a 17-point shift since the week President Joe Biden was declared the winner of the 2020 election, when a plurality of Missouri voters approved of Hawley's job performance. Um, you know, what's really concerning about Hawley is that he's likely to stay in office for the rest of his term, which isn't up until 2024, unless they can somehow make something stick on the Capitol siege. Because he was in this up to his eyeballs. Remember, mm-hmm. he gave the, the, the rioters the fist salute. Unbelievable. This guy is going to be a major firebrand for theocracy and fascism. And it's really just interesting how every single one of these evangelical Christians are first in line when it comes to over, wanting to overturn democracy. And talking about, you know, as I said, they, they think of you know Jesus as the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the prince of peace. He just should be in charge. And yeah. I, when, when they say that, they, they are talking about themselves being in charge. Right. Because they're literally because there literally isn't a Jesus. So, right. So who is in charge? That means them. <laughs> right. And so he's courting the same coalition of evangelicals that supported Trump that had those memes with Jesus putting his hands on Trump in the in mm-hmm. the Oval Office. And, you know, and of course, Hawley is trying to tee himself up for a presidential run. So, sure. You know, people like Josh Hawley are public enemy number one. They are the entire reason why we do this show every week, because there's no greater threat to our freedom than theocracy. Theocracy and fascism aren't just bedfellows. They're literally constantly fucking. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. You know, it's true. It's true. They're the same thing. They are. uh, They are. They are two sides of the same fucking coin. There's not a time of the day or night when theocracy's dick isn't up fascism's ass. Okay, (laughs) these arguments before the Supreme Court are fascist arguments. Yep. You know, I mean, going back to when I used to be a minister, you know, we would say say this in the wedding ceremony. The twain will become one flesh, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, interesting imagery there. But uh, (laughs) (laughs) the bottom line is that is that fascism and theocracy are one flesh. Yeah. You know, and did you hear what Franklin Graham said? He supported Trump even after the insurrection. And as a result, there was a petition with 17,000 signatures for him to be removed from the two religious organizations he leads, which are huge multi-million dollar a year charities. Now, this wasn't liberals. This was a Christian organization called Faith America that actually is, is angling to have Franklin Graham removed. So. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I, I agree with everything you just said and fascism slash theocracy, which really are, again, like I said, two sides of the same coin. You really can't talk about one without talking about the other. They are both anti-democracy forces. They disdain democracy, right? They disdain any world in which uh, a powerful um, sort of monolith type uh, either organization or person is running everything. That is what their goal is. Um, and these and these forces are alive and well in 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 our country. And I 
I think it's really easy for people to shrug this off and say, oh, well, okay, yeah, well, you crazy liberals, you're, you know, most Republicans aren't like that. And uh, most most uh, religious people are not like that. And that is true. But it's also true that those folks will tolerate the that fa- that faction, right? They will give aid and comfort to a guy like Josh Hawley, right? Well, they will happily yeah. take his vote, you know? It's the old Sam Harris, moderates make the world safe for extremists. Yeah, it's this, it goes exactly. for Muslims. Moderate Muslims believe the same things that the suicide bombers believe. Yep. And moderate Christians believe the same things that the insurrectionists believe. And exactly what, what was really genius. OK, because I know Biden in his inaugural speech, he he did not uh, he did not give any sort of of credit to atheists and agnostics. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was it was a real retrenchment in terms of overt secularism compared to Obama, who did name check atheists and agnostics. And I'm not so worried about it because what's become clear is that progressive policy is secularism by its very nature. Mm. And it's something that we have to really acknowledge that any reduction in unearned hierarchy is secularism. More and more, I'm coming to understand that religious belief itself isn't the problem. I mean, Hillary and and Biden are are, are highly religious. It's how a person views their faith versus how they view the law. And that is what is so deadly on the one hand about Hawley and what is so what is fine that you know Biden is is a religious guy. Like this Absolutely. is the distinction. How does your religion uh sh- how do you show up to that compared to defending the law? Absolutely. And right because if you are you use your religion as a uh, as a source of inner inner strength, uh comfort, what who am I to say that you ought not do that. I mean, I am I think you should be able to do whatever you want. My problem is, is when you start to impose those views on me and uh, in the law, right? And mm-hmm. that's, exp- that's expressly what guy, guys like Josh Hawley want to do, right? They are, yeah. they, he, in his speech, he expressly says, these secularists want us to keep our our religion in our in our homes, and we are against that. Right? I'm mm-hmm. paraphrasing, but that he but but he explicitly expresses that idea, and that is what we're afraid of, right? That is what we do on this show. That is why we do this show, right? Is is to alarm people that this strain of 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 American of American Christian Christianic um, sorry uh, Christian nationalism is alive and well in this country and it has a disproportionate amount of power a disproportionate voice and it has a lot of uh, institutional protections that we should all be really really concerned about that capital riot was pure white christian nationalism that's exactly what that was exactly what that was there's no sugarcoating it and for every person who was up there storming the capitol were probably a hundred people sitting at home wishing they could be there doing the same thing exactly who are who are professional victims Uh, who want to see their religion become the law of the land. And exactly that right. is, it, it could not be a more stark contrast between that and democracy. Exactly. It's the exact opposite of that, right? Um, so uh, let's just wrap up our um, news segment with us on a sad note, but on a uh, sort of on a tribute uh, to, to Hank Aaron, who passed away. Um, Hank, I'll read now. Hank Lewis uh, Aaron, 
Uh, let me start from the beginning. Henry Lewis Hank Aaron, that's his full name, the Baseball Hall of Famer who, who broke Babe Ruth's all-time home run record in the face of racism and went on to be a revered ambassador to the game, has died. He was 86 years old. Very good life. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if you grew up in the segregated South, your uh, your life expectancy is pretty damn short um, in that environment. So 86 is a pretty good run. Mm-hmm. Um, Aaron was known as Hammer or Hammer and Hank. He was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1982 following an illustrious MLB career highlighted by 755 career home runs. Aaron famously broke Ruth's longstanding home run record on April 8th, 1974, hitting his 715th homer at home in Atlanta Fulton County Stadium. And as he was chasing Ruth's record, Aaron was taunted daily at ballparks, received threats on his life, and was sent thousands of racist hate mail. He said he didn't read most of it, but he did keep some of it as a reminder. And now I'm quoting uh, Aaron himself. Quote, there were times when the chase, during the chase, when I was so angry and sick of it, and all I wished, I, I'd all, and all that I wished is that I could get on a plane and not get off until I was someplace where never, where, where they had never heard of Babe Ruth. He wrote in his I Had a Hammer autobiography. But damn it all, I had to break that record. I had to do it for Jackie Robinson and my people and myself and for everyone who ever called me the N-word. And um, pretty powerful stuff, man. Uh, you know, I, I'm not a big baseball fan, um, but uh, but Hank Aaron, people like Hank Aaron, uh, Jesse Owens, Jackie Robinson. These are people that growing up as a black person um, in in America, uh, I, I, I looked up to um, and and knowing what they went through. And and we I always felt like I stood on their shoulders. Um, and I think we all do as a as white, black, everyone. Our nation stands on on, on the shoulders of those, of those folks. Well, look, I, I was never a huge baseball fan either, but I do remember when Hank Aaron broke broke Babe Ruth's record. And I honestly didn't understand at that time in my life, I guess I was about 10, mm-hmm. uh, the significance of the event. I just thought, wow, he's the new greatest of all time. And <laughs> right, you know, right. I was really unaware of the racial controversy. And that's really what it's like growing up in white America. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, we can be blissfully ignorant. And because he was on the cover of Time Magazine, right? So yeah. why would anybody, why would anybody uh, ever, th- you know, uh, be worried about him, you know, being called the n-word like right, i just right. did, didn't didn't wasn't aware of, that, of it at that time so you know it's a tragedy the way he was treated and it tells me that this is something that we should start talking about so-called white supremacy is really white inferiority mm, interesting the professional victimhood yeah planned victimhood why would anyone send hate mail to an athlete approaching another athlete's record okay it's so insane in it's the a, 70s, by the way, in the 70s, this isn't like 1955, right? Yeah. And and I mean, th- this didn't happen when I was it Sammy Sosa who broke a record mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. you know, didn't Fernando Valenzuela didn't happen mm-hmm. with him. Everybody was rooting for him. So, you know, why wouldn't everyone have been rooting for Hank Aaron, who was about to set a new world record? It should be yay humanity, right? Exactly. Exactly. And, and it just goes to show, right, that. Like you said, I think the white inferiority, the um, professional victimhood sort of idea is an important one, right? Because uh, that is, I think, a theme that we're that 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 
just pervades the right. Um, I, 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 I don't think I can go through even one episode without mentioning Black Reconstruction in America yes. <laughs> from Two Boys because yes. I'm always reading it and I'm coming down the home stretch. I'm going to do, a, I think I want to do on maybe toward the end of February, do a, uh, a show on that. Right. I so can't wait. I, can't so wait. I think that'll be really interesting. Um, but my point is that right, even back then, uh, and especially black then, back then, it was always this idea that black people are going to surpass us in some way. That mm-hmm. was always the argument. And, and, it, and it was always that it was the, the rich planter that was the victim here. Right. Mm-hmm. That it, you were they lost their money and their and their income. And all of a sudden they had to compete with other with black people. Oh, my God. And it's always this victimhood narrative that is laced all the way through American history. And it is an important thing to call out with like and very clearly yeah you know um well anyway let's move on to our guest segments uh we are pleased to welcome to the show chuck sweet and don ramirez chuck and don are the hosts of a podcast called but really on which they discuss current events from a progressive perspective chuck and don's perspective is also heavily informed by their experience serving in the united states marine corps as well as their residents in their towns of san antonio and seattle cities really so without further ado the radical secular presents chuck sweet and don ramirez hey gentlemen welcome to the show it's practically a cliche at this point to say thank you for your service still thank you for your service and welcome to the radical secular how are you guys doing Hey guys, Don down in San Antonio. I got Chuck up in Seattle. We are, but really, if you haven't heard our podcast, check it out. We're doing great. I always appreciate anyone to say thank you for your service. Good. Uh, I didn't do it for that. It's, you know, it was truly just a service because I love this country. Fair enough, man. Fair enough. I love that. And uh, Chuck, Chuck, why don't you tell us about your t-shirt? Sure. Um, so this t-shirt, NPR, National Public Radio, I love National Public Radio. And I, I, but I bought this shirt as soon as I realized that NPR suddenly somehow became a political football. And <laughs> so I wanted to make sure that NPR got enough advertising so that to kind of help, you know, I don't know how much it helps. I'm one guy with a t-shirt, but it's about hey, every, counts, I guess. Every, every little bit helps, man. I mean, uh, I'm a huge NPR fan as well. And public radio, public things in general is super fucking important. <laughs> uh, you know, how about you, Don? Uh, I'm wearing a um, Donald Duck t-shirt. Nice. Is that like a reference to Donald Trump? No, not at all. <laughs> Donald Duck is in the Navy. And Chuck and I are Marines and we are Department of the Navy. Roger that. My name is Don. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Donald Trump. I wish, but do not insult Donald Duck. I won't. I won't. (laughs) Not even mentioning Donald Trump in the same Same sentence. At least least we knew why this guy was mad. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. (laughs) Sean, Sean, uh, how about your t shirt, man? I have on my Tyrion Lannister. That's what I do. <laughs> I drink and I know things. <laughs> yes. Yes. Nice. I love it. That's <laughs> I awesome, that. man. I like drinking and I like knowing things. Although I don't know too much, but I definitely like drinking. <laughs> it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a, a dated uh, well, pop culture reference by now, but uh, I still think it's hilarious. It's not that dated. I mean <laughs> uh, 
All right, and I'm wearing um, my shirt. This is a retread, but um, it's my um, mobile infantry shirt um, from from um, Starship, Star Troopers. Starship Troopers, which was a awesome movie. And I figure, as long as we're talking to two guys from the Marine Corps, uh, right? The the mobile infantry is sort of like the Marines of right of that of that sort of world. And so I figured, hey, you know, let me rock this shirt today. And um, it's, I, I wish I had like a real Marine Corps shirt. And I thought about, I actually thought about ordering one and then I just fucking forgot. And so here we are. So this is the shirt that I came up with. <laughs> but I think it's pretty cool. I think it's pretty good. It is. Uh, it was a great film. Right <laughs> and the alien bugs are coming for you. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> The ants will rise. <laughs> Absolutely. So awesome, guys. Well, thanks for that. Welcome to the show. Let's get into the topic for today, which is, broadly speaking, the military. And uh, you guys, as I mentioned, we talked about earlier, are uh, are uh, Marine Corps vets. Uh, so I'd like to just sort of get some background on you two for our audience, right? So will you tell us a little bit about your service in the Marine Corps, uh, why you why you chose to join and what you did there, et cetera? Uh, sure. Let me, I'll take a stab at it first, I guess. Yeah, go for it. Um, so I, I joined the Marine Corps in 97, so a while ago. Um, I was in for about four years. I made it through uh, to sergeant during my, my first enlistment, which was generally pretty good. Um, the reason that I joined was actually, I, I, I think it was a little bit, I guess, I don't want to say dumb, but naive, kind of. Um, so I was bowling. I was at a bowling alley with a few friends. And there were a bunch of, like, Marines that were bowling in an alley next to us. And my friends were making fun of them. And I, I don't know why. Um, and I started making fun of them, too, just to kind of go with the crowd. And then I thought about it. And I was like, I really don't know what their experience is. And I was already going to the university of Texas tonight, but I decided that it was time. Well, I, I was, uh, discharged from the, I say, I say discharged. I was kicked out of the university, not kicked out, but I didn't do well at the he university. Was failing. So, so I thought, Hey, you know, that's a really, that seems like a really unique experience. I wonder if I can do that. And so it was kind of almost, uh, uh, like a last gasp, gasp, if you will. It was like, you know, I'm, I'm really not doing so well in certain parts of life and that doesn't look that hard maybe it's something i could do which is kind of dumb when i think about it because it was really hard because <laughs> <laughs> it was really fucking hard, it was, really hard. <laughs> it was so bad <laughs> it was so bad <laughs> but it was it was a lot easier than I, than i thought it would be we can i guess we'll get into that a little bit more later really because i was i was pretty physically fit so the physical part of it wasn't wasn't hard and really you get told what to do so much that you didn't i didn't even really have to think for the first like six months that I was part of the service. So, you know, <laughs> I mean, it, so it was challenging and, and the physical aspect was demanding, but it wasn't, it was hard to screw it up. And I think it was like a second chance for me, really. Yeah. Now, did you, what was your MOS? I was, I went in as a 4066, which is a network engineer. Um, but I was doing the work I was doing was forty sixty seven, which was uh, software engineering uh, programming computers. Gotcha. It's and so and for everyone uh, out there, MOS is a military occupational specialty, right? Am I saying that correct? Yeah, yeah, that's right. right. Yeah. Okay, I just want to make sure that everybody knows that. So um, and so, do you still do that kind of work now? Like, is that sort of good, like networking computer stuff now? Or yeah, I do, and uh, it's I kind of 
part of the reason that I had to leave the Marine Corps was because they did away with my operational specialty. Mm. So I, I could either stay in and become a zero two fifty one, which is a, a radio communicator. That guy when, when, in the movies, when you see the guy carrying the antenna on his back, oh, yes. running across the field, trying not to get shot. <laughs> I could either do that <laughs> or, or I could go back to networking, which I hadn't done in, in four years. I had uh-huh. to touch. So, so I, and at, the, at that point in time, it was every com was really getting hot. So, so entry level was like, you know, pretty, pretty good, pretty good money, like easily sure. twice or three times what I was making in the Marine Corps. So con- that confluence of events uh, pushed me out into the marketplace. Interesting. Gotcha. And how about you, Don? Like what, what, what brought you to the military, to, to the, uh, to the Marine Corps? What did you do there, et cetera? Well, what brought me to the Marine Corps is I actually, I just got accepted to go to college. I got a scholarship for writing. Uh, and then I met a recruiter and he gave me this fantastic story. And then I heard Marine. And I heard boot camp in San Diego and travel the world. And I was like, so uh, <laughs> the reason why I joined the Marine Corps is because they're the best. Everyone has always said that the few, the proud, the Marine. I don't discriminate against any other branch. I really love all the branches. I tell my nieces and nephews, hey, join the Coast Guard. You get all the same benefits. And always stationed at the beach. Bro, (laughs) how can it get any better than that? (laughs) Right, right, right. right, You know, like you get the same benefits. It's, you know, it's still military service, but uh, you're always stationed at the beach. I mean, you just, you can't beat that. We've been in some shithole places, crappy ass deserts, crappy, you know, this, that, the other thing. Uh, I went in open contract in the Marine Corps. Uh, besides that, I don't really like talking about uh, my Marine Corps experience. You can hear a lot of it on our podcast, but really, if you guys check that out. Uh, but it's pretty much me, Chuck, and like two or three other Marines who have served with me and know where I've been and what I've done. It's just easier sometimes to explain to people that have actually been there. Uh, sometimes it's hard to relate to someone that hasn't uh um, but other than that, I mean, I really enjoyed my time in the Marine Corps. It was like the best time of my life. But at the same time, it was a shitty ass time because they put us through some crap as Chuck will, <laughs> you know, dude, they really put us through some unnecessary stuff. Uh, right. It just, you know, it was all means to an end. Uh, and they were just making us stronger. At least I hope. <laughs> how, how how long were you in the Marine Corps, uh, Don? I did a little Active, over four uh, years. Okay. Uh, so I was in after 9-11. I think Chuck got out right before, right? Gotcha. After 9-11, before the uh, stop loss. Yeah, yeah, lucky that. Uh, the two things I want to define. Uh, open contract is when you go in and you don't really pick what your occupational specialty is going to be. And then the Marine Corps just gives you whatever they need. So uh, I see you got lucky on placement there, my friend. <laughs> um, uh, the second one is a uh, stop loss is when after nine 11, uh, there was a period, there was about three months. And then after that, the military basically said, all right, we're not letting anybody out anymore. And then wow. that stayed in place for two or three years. And they called some people back actually. 
Wow. I did not, I, I, I didn't realize that. Um, thanks for telling me. I got lucky, but I had a certain job and I only could do that. Job, like, dude, and then I wasn't allowed to ever get promoted until the end of my career. How does that work? We didn't have an MOS. Oh, interesting. So you were just sort of like, uh, were like floating around kind of you because you were, no, I did my job. I mean, I just wasn't able to get promoted. Uh, another one of our friends, um, uh, Alex as well, like, dude. and it just sucked because after a certain time, I guess 2002, the Marine Corps said, you know, computers that are not, you know, viable and, you know, like we were killing machine. Like, I think we got a new, uh, commandant of the Marine Corps or something. And it was just like, boom. So how can I get promoted if I didn't even have an MOS? Like, right so i was frozen in my position i didn't understand i didn't hear about that or didn't understand it that way interesting interesting now guys now i've listened i've listened to your podcast uh you are both pretty progressive guys the military is a notoriously conservative institution uh, let alone the marine corps what now, did you develop those sort of your progressive tendencies sort of later on or while you're in the Marine Corps? And 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 what is it like being a progressive around vets and in the Marine Corps itself? Chuck, you want to hit it up or? Yeah, I can hit it. I can start. Um, just I remember him as an independent in the beginning. They remember me as a as a what? A liberal, or you were uh, you were not democratic. I wasn't. So I I grew up in Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, so and in the parts of Texas where you think like really conservative people come from, <laughs> <laughs> and I so I, I was I was not very different. Um, uh-huh. And when I went to Virginia, believe it or not, I was Virginia was more liberal, north, more liberal than Texas where I lived. Right. So I just but. Um, I, I don't think I was, I think what, I think I was pretty conservative while I was in, but I didn't, but that was only because I didn't really think too deeply about issues. Mm -hmm. I was just, like I said, you, you get told what to do for, for, you know, you wake up, you do this, you, you, you go get lunch somewhere, you know, you, you have 10 minutes or however long, an hour to eat lunch, you have to do something else. Like there is, there's a pretty prescriptive way of life. So there wasn't really much of a cause of a call for like thinking deeply about issues. So sure. was it? So I, I was actually liberal in the sense that I wasn't religious and I wasn't that type of person. So I was more in the libertarian camp. And it wasn't until after I got out of the Marine Corps that I started thinking about the label libertarian and what that meant, and researching and then attending meetings. I was I intended to get more actively involved, like get 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 back to the community. And then I found that's when I realized that there really isn't a libertarian there. There is it's, it's a smokescreen. And mm-hmm. then I had like, so then I was at a loss. For, <laughs> we we say the same thing about we say the same thing about independence too because there are people who just if you think think but libertarians deep, are independent. I kind of get where they're coming from because they don't feel like anyone. But libertarians have these radical ideas that just they don't go anywhere. Let's hear. I'm gonna hear what Sean was what Sean was saying. Sean, what were you saying about? Um... Well, you know, it's it's if you think deeply about any part of politics, you find out that uh, the facts lead you in a particular direction if you're willing to pay attention, and then they lead you to into an ethical direction 
as mm-hmm. well. And I think there's a lot of people who um, are not, are, they, they haven't thought about it deeply. Like you said, they're, they're involved in their lives. And if they're in the mm-hmm. military, they're being told what to do. And I think that there's a, there's definitely, you know, an awakening that happens when people put their mind to politics. One well, way or the I've other. I've had an awakening in, in the military. So this will probably blow all your minds. But I'm I voted hear for it. Bush when I joined the Marine Corps. I was a Republican. I was deep Republican. I grew up Republican. Yeah, I hear you. I joined the Marine Corps. I started seeing all these other sides and, and mm. people like uh, Sleep and other friends and uh, really opened my eye because I had only been sheltered, grew up in a family and culture and, you know, like everyone was this way, you know, like, uh, so I hadn't seen uh, other sides and then having many conversations with police. Uh, sorry, I called the police Chuck. Uh, That's but, what you uh, call me. Go for it. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I really like, wow, opened my eyes. And then um, as I became a better person, because I don't think you're born a good person or a bad person you grow to uh, realize. And then some of the things I align with, like helping people or taking care of people that, you know, are a bit less fortunate than us. I don't think that's socialism. I think that's just helping your fellow man. <laughs> yeah, it's <just> civilization. <laughs> civilization. I mean, civilization. You know what I mean? And so yeah. then my, 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 my uh, ideals started aligning with a different party. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it, you know, it did take me joining the Marine Corps to realize that, uh, um, you know, like it just, I, I don't know. How do you guys feel about that? Like, well, I think all of us. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, all, all, say, <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Sir, sorry. Uh, I'm pretty sure all four <laughs> of us grew up conservative, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't think that there's any argument with that that you have to sometimes come out of your background to really see the world as it is yeah like we're like we're all like basically brought up i know i, I know sean and i were in, in like and it sounds like you two were as well it's relatively these conservative environments and until it's really easy and this is really important and that is people think that people don't realize how much we are products of the environments in which we grew up right we mm-hmm. most people do what they're what everyone that they grew up with did almost everybody right it's rare for people like us who have had been forced out of our sort of local environment to see and hadn't forced to see other stuff and be have your mind opened and all of a sudden you're like oh my god i was wrong for a long time i was really wrong not always because you can grow up in like a uh abusive family where your dad beats your mom and then you turn out to be that guy that never touches it you know what i mean like, oh yeah oh for sure. So for sure for sure but 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 and then that's a coin flip because you can also grow up that way and just think that's normal exactly and exactly. that's how they should be treated and it's just like wow that's yeah i hear you I, i'm curious guys what you think what what your experience is because you you're you're veterans you said that you spend a lot of time with veterans your friends are vets um what uh with you know without betraying any confidence obviously but what do you how do you find that the veteran community that you spend time with at least has reacted to the trump era right but because they did my initial reaction to be like well it trump 
you know, uh, it's, it sounds like a, a pro-military sort of environment and, and all of that. But then again, we saw we had an insurrection, right? So I'm just, I wonder what, first of all, what, how you, I know you guys are not Trump fans, <laughs> but how do you think about that? And how are, are people that you know think about that? Uh, you want to hit this one first, Don? So I did yeah, the last man, I'll share it up, brother. I don't mind. I mean, to be honest with you, uh, I don't really think Trump was a pro-military. Mm-hmm. I think real military people would see that. The first thing he did was attack John McCain. Right. Attack Gold Star families. You know, talk mad shit about military. Then fucking try to say the 70s were his Vietnam. Ugh. President Bonesburg's. Ugh, and fucking infuriating. Yeah, I can't imagine anybody I, really respected him in the military. But so many nope. people are brainwashed by him because he's a big, tough guy. Mm-hmm. But he's a doughboy. <laughs> he has bronzer on, bro. <laughs> so a lot of my friends, um, including like Don and, and a lot of other folks out there, even even some of the conservative ones, um, looking at uh, Trump, just can't believe, just can't believe it. I mean, no, there, nobody I know. There's like two people I think out of the, I think I know about forty or fifty. I I keep track. I close contact with ten or fifteen, and then extended contact like Facebook and and stuff with mm-hmm. maybe another thirty people that that are military and just disgusted by this guy. I mean, yeah. he's against everything that the military stands for. Like, there's no honor, honor courage, no courage commitment. No commitment. Yeah, exactly what Don said. You know, they mm-hmm. drill that stuff into us. So, so that's the one takeaway. That's one of the the takeaways from the Marine Corps that I, I really appreciate is that foundation, that those mm-hmm. three things. And he's none of that. So it's hard right. for me to see how anybody that calls himself a Marine or was a Marine could get behind this guy. And yeah. Thankfully, most of my friends decided have decided not to. Yeah. yeah. Furthermore, you guys are you know all of our armed services are fighting for territory for our allies and all these things he gave back territory in syria i mean he's he's pulling out of of pulling the troops home from iraq and afghanistan like you know there's we can all argue all day long whether or not they should be there but if they're not going to be there there should be a political settlement of the situation so that you don't lose the territory just abandon it Why just you know people people died to take this territory right and um uh it just it's amazing to me and how he just trashed our allies and then cozied up to, you know, uh, North Korea and all this stuff. It's insane. Hey, yeah. hey, Russia? Russia. Yeah. Russia. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. And, and do you, speaking of sort of on, on a similar sort of, uh, sort of front, do you think that, because let me put it this way. I find that, and you know what? I don't want to load the question. Let me just ask you the question. <laughs> the question is, do you think that progressives give you and people in the military, veterans and the, and armed services enough credit for what happens in the military, what the military does, what, you know, uh, what uh, the, the role of the military in the world? Do you think that that they do that? I don't know. When we were in the Marine Corps, Chuck and I, we never talked about what side we were on. Uh, he might have mentioned it to me, but that wasn't a thing. Like, do, do you remember that too? We never had like, uh, you know, it was just hey, uh, it didn't, it didn't come up at the at the bars. Right after it. Yeah, well, me and him, well, maybe because me and him had more deep conversations. I was like, well, what, how do you believe? Because I was trying, I was just, dude, I was a 
green minded person, out fresh, yeah, new right. to the world, and and he had already been in the Marine Corps. By the time I got there, he had been in for three years. Uh-huh. So he was a sergeant, and I was a newbie. I hear a lot, like on on both sides, they're talking about the military. They're always talking about raising the spending, and they're always talking about like we're going to give the military more money, um, which. Five hundred. So what would be better than that is like not giving us is not putting us in harm's way, right? Better policy would be better for the military, and I think the progressives mm. do a better job of not putting the military in harm's way. Like, sure, our, we sign up and we're fine to go out and shoot people. I was a programmer; I didn't shoot anybody. I could have thrown a keyboard at him, I guess. <laughs> but, but the first that you walk in, when you get into boot camp, the first thing they do is they put you in a big auditorium and then they send somebody in. Uh, with completely fake news that, hey, uh, by the way, we're calling you guys up to war. Everybody, whatever your MOS is, it's gone. <laughs> it's gone now. And you're going to go to uh, deploy to Iraq or to deploy to wherever. And then they keep that ruse up for a little while to, you know, to let it till it sinks in that, you know, that's your job. Your job is mm-hmm. you may be programming right now <laughs> or you may be a chef. <laughs> well, we were programmed for battle, but. Uh... Yeah. yeah. So the thing, so the best thing that you can that you can do for the military is to not use them. Right. right train them get them prepared but don't put them where they're going to have to shoot people or get shot at and right that, so that's so i i don't know i i'm trying to read a bit of what you're putting into the question i don't know if i'm getting it completely but um i do think that progressives do a better job of of protecting and respecting the military in that in that regard that's really interesting that's a really interesting take on that Chuck, because right, you, you hear a lot of chest beating on the on the right and saber rattling and all this sort of stuff. Um, where you, but the but the right the the idea is that the military is deterrent, right? Like that's the goal, right? You have a big, well trained, well funded military that hopefully you never have to use, right? Um, and 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 use it judiciously, right? Because these are actual human beings. And to go to your part point, Don is that they're frequently folks that are on the on the lower end of the income uh, income scale right that and that has been true in militaries forever um but right it, it is really easy if you are a person who know who has no family in the military who's not connected at all to say hey why don't you go and clear out these 15 blocks in Iraq right um no and and for and and for political reasons or whatever else so that's a really interesting point thanks thanks for um thanks for for that perspective man um and I think I want to uh, just say that we here at the Radical Second, we obviously we, we have a deep respect for the military and appreciation. Um, and chief among those reasons is because we think the military has a real role in maintaining political and social stability. Right. Um, uh, why do you think uh, I know this is sort of a tough question, but why do you think the military is so important for democracy? Like, why is it such a critical pillar of our of our democracy? The United yeah. States Marine Corps. They're fucking afraid of us. <laughs> yeah. If they I, weren't, they would have already attacked us. Look how fucking shambles Trump left us. Yeah. Everyone's talking shit. They have yet to attack us. If they had balls, I would have attacked. <clears throat> I right. mean, I would never attack this country, but right now would have been the time to attack. Yeah. Right. 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 If right. you were gonna do it, if you were gonna do it, and, this would have been it. Right. And that's <laughs> up. Look, dude. That's why there's these myths about Marines eating babies and shit like that. Like, <laughs> if you really do do that, it's not American babies. <laughs> Holy, our enemies. 
Only your enemies, right? Right. So you want to hear about the like the culture of the military a little bit more? Is that is that kind of what, what you're? Yeah. Asking? Well, yeah. It, it has changed because I mean, and I, I turned uh, eighteen in nineteen eighty two, and at that time you had to register for the draft. So right, I registered, you know, and that's. Uh, but I don't know when that went away. I think it was. I think 80s, in the I'm, later later eighties, yeah. Yeah, the selective service or something like that. Because I remember, yep. I think I had to sign something when I was like, when I was like turned oh, no, I something. Think I, I don't remember what it was. In the nineties for selective service. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm only twenty one, so I'm a lot younger than you. Guys. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still <laughs> weak last. <laughs> nice try. Nice try. Um, so it is a very it is a very close community. Um, I think, at least with my cohort and then a few cohorts behind. You do everything then. You show mm-hmm. you go to the you're on because you have military housing. So all like if you're an officer or, or a non-commissioned officer, you can get in military housing. So everybody you see when you're there is they're all military. So it's like you've got this whole this little I mean, like microcosm that you live in. Your kids go to military schools. It's right. you no know, matter like it 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 just and then so you and then after and let me that, add, go ahead. Well, let me add one thing. And yeah, then we only hang out with the guys that are totally military positive because we have shitbirds that are like, fuck the military. They hate everything. They're just the losers. Uh-huh. So we kind of weed them out. But mm-hmm. all of us are like same mind focused to the same mm-hmm. goal. And we're just like hardcore. Uh, yeah. So you got to- like, because we yeah. had those yeah. shitbirds, you know, in our, you know, like uh, we don't want to say any names. You do. Well, you have to weed them up. Yeah, you have to weed them up. Because those are the people that might get you killed. Right. right. They're not or doing get that. us killed. Or get well, us. well not, not where we were, but, you know, in, in the general principle is, like, people that if you're not meeting the bare minimum standard, you know, how can you be trusted with anything more than that, right? Mm-hmm. How can, if you're in an actual situation. So it's, it's very, like, built into the culture to identify and get rid of or or sideline the the weak link uh, Mm -hmm. and and unfortunately sometimes you're a weak link because you have mental issues or you have some other problem that that right so i mean mean, there's no room for that yeah why are you there if you're if that's your attitude right yeah exactly it's all volunteer i guess there's people who so much they sign up and then they're sorry they signed up after they find out what it's really like, maybe. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people. They thought it was gonna be like on TV. Right. So I was always the asshole. I was like that Marine that really believed in the Marine Corps. So <laughs> nothing wrong with but that. Man. Chuck is such a great guy. Like that's just an example of, of the culture, right? I mean, we, mm-hmm. we all you you have to look out for everybody else, and that that part of it is also another positive quality. I think that that the military, I don't know, if the broader military, maybe, but the Marine Corps definitely bestows mm. um, on you. Is like you're, it's a brotherhood. You, it, yeah, it brings that out in you that you are even if you're a girl for so. the person beside you. Yeah, and like I have an example, a friend, one of a, a fellow Marine and I were on vacation. We vacationed together. Right. <laughs> you know, we went, and then uh, on the way back, we stopped at this uh, this uh, park grounds just to take a break. We were, all, we were, I don't know, first smoke break or something. Mm-hmm. Somebody, we were walking back in the woods. Somebody that was there before us fell in the in the water and broke their arm, like fractured their arm almost in half. So you could see part of the bone, like almost. Oh Jesus! Yeah, and there were and they were there with a group of people. Like there were people around them, 
And the people around them were just sitting there, like staring at this guy in the water. Filming it with their cameras. Filming. Yeah, I, I don't know if they had their cameras. This was like I'm, I'm older than you than you think I am. But uh, <laughs> when, but and, and, me and this guy yeah. that I was we, we never met these guys before. So we went. We pulled them out of the water. You know, we got them back to to something. You know, got them back closer to the road. We made sure we taught. We lectured his friends on how to, <laughs> how to get them to somewhere that to get them to safety, and that was is a really serious problem. But that 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 like I don't know if without the Marine Corps experience, without that culture, that mm-hmm. that would have been something that I would have done on my own. Sure, sure, that makes sense. I I, I wonder too about the culture. Um, you talked. We talked a little bit about this earlier, but. Do you find, like I said, the, the military is a pretty conservative institution, but I wonder, do you find that it is politicized, right? Like, do you find that, do you find that uh, from superiors, maybe, uh, that you have, that there is pressure to vote in a certain way or, or, or think a certain way, but, or is that an issue at all? I'm just curious. Well, look at the group uh, that are actually in the military. They're usually 18 to 38 years old, bro. So, like, now think about that span from right now. These aren't 65-year-old men. You know what I mean? These are forward-thinking, progressive, younger folk now. Right. Mm-hmm. And the right. military is only getting younger. Yeah. Right. And these right. millennials, dude, they don't see color. They don't see religion. They're fucking, like, all about saving the world. Like, a lot of them are. Uh, maybe That's really world, interesting. Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, mm-hmm. But you got to think about it in that, because even if you have a long career, you might be 45 years old when you get out of the military. Right, right. Exactly. Something out there. Um, We also. So, yeah. Yes. to All of that stuff. Um, Nobody ever told me what who to vote for Mm -hmm. or who who wasn't even a thing. We didn't even ask you. You know, I volunteered that information, <laughs> and, we, and, we get, and we get and we got in fights about that type of stuff. You know, not real fights, but you know, we it's we nobody was going to. Fights means we smoked a cigar and argued. Yeah, we, we did that. I remember that. Fight loudly, yeah. dude. You're fucking wrong. <laughs> oh, no, well, yeah, I never got. Shut the fuck up. I got a question. I, I got a question about this. Okay, so the president is the commander in chief of the military. So it seems like there would be some uh, deference or bias toward that person. But no, no, mm-hmm. no we don't. We don't serve the. Commander. So the only reason why I do what I do in the Marine Corps is for the guy that's right next to me. Like Chuck. <laughs> mm-hmm. it's not for the president. I'm no fucking president. I didn't join with my best friend. Like we joined the military, and we're all from different places in the world like in the united states and we all come there but we all were taught the same thing we all do the same thing and it's for the guy next to me that's why marines jump on grenades right i want to i want to be a hero it's the same bring that around yeah chuck go ahead yeah so um i so that's that's definitely accurate and that i i, I agree with everything you just said there's also the other side and the other side is I've never we've never sworn allegiance to any 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 person. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing we ever sworn allegiance to is the Constitution, right? Absolutely. Your hand, so if we believe, yeah, and and it's you get this drilled into you like every time you have a conversation with anybody about like allegiance or loyalty and stuff like that, it is the Constitution. It's not, and if you believe that the, the commander in chief is going contrary to the Constitution, it's your duty 
not your mm-hmm. not your right. It's your duty mm-hmm. to do something about that. In one so of our podcasts, definitely. In that? one of our podcasts, Chuck, you asked me, and it's but really, uh, we went pretty deep. Yeah, we went pretty deep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's uh, what it comes like down you to. Me, you know, because I did do a little, little this, little that, and I, I was HMX one for a little while, helicopter security, uh, and uh, you know, so I, you know, I, I was security for President Bush, and please ask me. Would you have done that for for Trump? And I was like, well, yeah, man. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not a Marine for the president, you know. Right. For the United States. Mm -hmm. Protecting the the office, not the person. Yeah. Right. I I, I would do my job. Yes. I would buy my I buy my tongue and do my job. Yeah. If I don't agree with his policies, like. Well, I, I have something I want to read, and, and I'd like to get your uh, your reaction to it. Uh, I read a great article about the sorts of problems that stem from misunderstandings between the military services and civilians in a liberal democracy. So let me just read this excerpt, and then we can react to that. Uh, quote, because so few individuals have direct contact with members of the military, there exists a general lack of knowledge and understanding of what military service entails, what war and combat entail, and why the public ought to appreciate the military sacrifices. The military's place in our democracy must be must ultimately be maintained by citizens complementing their deep respect for the military with a healthy skepticism of its suitability to domestic and global politics and grand strategy. One way to help this critical eye is to help Americans see soldiers, sailors, airmen and Marines and Coast Guard personnel as people rather than superheroes. Lack of societal knowledge about the military paired with ever increasing reverence for it and the increasing isolation of service members from the rest of society is a dangerous combination to liberal, liberal society. It provides space for continually smaller segments of society to determine what it means to be pro military. In Germany, for example, the large gap between German society and its military has created a space for far-right groups and has increased nostalgia for the martial glory of the Nazi Germany's Wehrmacht. Uh, so that is the that is the thing. What React to that, everybody. Anybody oh, have any comments quick. on that? Uh, Chuck actually told me to read this book. I haven't read it, uh, but I read the uh, preface. It gives you the first four pages, and it was the caste system. And they talked about how easy it was to get sucked up into Nazi Germany's uh, propaganda. Mm-hmm. A guy that was already married to a Jewish woman was just like, this shit is so crazy. But it's hard to see that. But uh, you, you say that, but what you need to realize it are these are young little kids, 18, 19, 20, 21 year old. For the most part, they do four years. There are very few lifers. You know, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. What would you say? 20% tweets? Yeah, I know. Most All the people that join, 20% stay in for life. And, and even lifer is just 20 years. So if you're 18 years old, you're, you know what I mean? Like, so, I mean, 38 years old when you get out. Like, that's what I was trying to say. Right. Uh, but, but most of the military are made up of 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old little kids mm-hmm. giving their yeah. life, you know, like. So they are people like, and it, and I understand like you might not see that or talk to them or or um, have that relation uh, or correlation of the society, but 
to be honest with you, that is one thing we would need to work on because, of course, when we realize, man, these are our little kids. Mm-hmm. Look at yeah. Chuck What if his son grows a wild hair up his ass and wants to join the Marine Corps? Would you let him? No. Not if Trump was president. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know you wouldn't because you know how bad it is. And what if he uh, no, no, I, I'd let him. What I'd if he got him. a shit job? I'd love well, him. I don't know if that parents really have anything to say about it, right? Once the kid's 18, <laughs> wants to enlist, it's like done. Yeah, not let him. <laughs> you want to make a bet? I was like, oh, happened? No, yeah, I don't have any kids, so it's easy for me to say. But I don't want my nieces and nephews to go to the Marine Corps. What if they get a shitty ass job and they're on the front lines? Like, I think, I, I think, uh, I think it's a big problem. Uh, when when you talk about things like the separation between the military and the people, then my mind goes to the to one place, and that is Julius Caesar's march back to Rome to take mm. it over with the military behind him. Right. So, and I know that that's a that's that's a stretch. That's way out there. That's not something that that we would ever anticipate. But I mean, but the vision, the ability to do something like that, is directly because the military see themselves as above. And the people see, and the people see see themselves as distinct from the military. Mm-hmm. And my personal position on this issue is that I, I think that not having the draft is is a real problem. I think I think that that's how we get everybody to get some skin in the game, so to speak. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, everybody has to have some skin in the game, otherwise, you have these things like these wars that nobody's ever heard of that you're sending right. to die in, right? So. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just the way I feel about it. But I, I agree. I think it's a huge problem. And, and we definitely, I think outreach is possibly one thing, but I really think what it comes down to is everybody's got to have some skin in the game. Yeah. Well, this is going to sound totally socialist or something, but I've always told everyone, I think uh, it should be a requirement. That's what they do in Israel. Two years. Like two yeah. years. Look, Israel. Look, you want to Israel. first? You want to be, uh, you know, we'll give you your two years of college to get your, uh, you know, your not your bachelor's, your associate, and, and for free, you know, and you want to, yes. you want to do this, or you want to do something badass, we'll give you four years, like, or you want to go further and be a doctor, because, dude, there's dentists and shit, and so, like, dude, and, and it would be like you have to give your service. Uh, <laughs> He's like dentists. I had my wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> Chuckass had some, you know, <laughs> dude, you're like, whatever. He, he's a fucking morphine. I'm still man. bitter about it. <laughs> but anyways, like, uh, or, or you want to meet so You want to do the bare minimum. Two years, you're a grunt. You know, you carry your rifle, you're in, you're out. Before you, you know, you do six months of training, you do a year and a half, and you're out. And now you get two years of college for free, or, you know, whatever maybe four years if you do a grunt service because that's when you're holding a rifle and blah 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 but uh if you want to do a nurse like here we got you right here and mom right you know like and it's just and we're all we're doing is creating a stronger workforce we're creating a stronger military there you go creating a stronger presence and an example that actually would work because the structure is already there the infrastructure it, it, it is always there so i i've always said that like but i don't want to make it seem mandated uh 
I, well, if, if, I agree if, with John. You know, yeah, if, if you want to, if you want to, here here's your opportunity. Well, hey, Don, what's your counter argument? Here's what you should do. I think. It would be great to have everybody go into the military, but there's some people who are like, well, you know, the parents would freak out. Oh, my, you know, my kid's being forced to go put their lives at risk. So have a civilian conservation corps like exactly. Roosevelt had. So yeah. you could do your service either two years in the civilian corps or two years in the military, and then you get your college paid for kind of thing. That yes. would be something that would be really uh, positive, I think. I think that would be definitely like I would. That's exactly what I was thinking, Sean, because then you're able to. Um, you're able to get that service and that like that commitment to the country that you're talking about, Chuck, right? That commitment, that skin in the game, a sense of civic civic responsibility and the idea that we are a polity, right? Like we're a group, mm-hmm. we're a group of people, we're a nation, and we all have skin in the game. Because what I see happening, we talk about libertarian at the top of this, libertarianism, right? This and this fracturing of society into Everyone is their little individual and their little castle. Give me all my guns in my house and I'll defend myself against against the enemies. And no, and and we see this with the masks. No one wants to wear masks because my my freedoms, but that but, but not thinking about like, but we have a country here, right? What about all of us? And when and when people are committed to the country and i think then you have a sense of solidarity i think and i think that 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 could really help us in the long run like uh joe we talked about earlier in the in the intro we talked about joe biden and and his in his speech about unity and all this kind of stuff and it's hard to find unity if there's nothing that we can all like look back on like Mm -hmm. you 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 chuck and don uh, chuck and don you were talking you keep talking about how that was such an anchoring four years five years of your life right like it ended up being it's such a huge part of who you are and those of us who didn't have that experience we don't have that for some a lot of people it's college i guess that have that experience or whatever but it's not the same because it's Mm -hmm. right you take that four years from 18 to 22 and you know, everybody's not in the military is generally in college. So right, it's the exactly. similar, it, that, it's the similar uh, age group. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so go ahead. I was going to say, um, it just builds a sense of uh, pride in your country. Like, mm-hmm. Marine, or I was in the Navy, I'm in the Army, like two years, you know, whatever, like, still, it's like you accomplished something. And it's as little as that. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? And let's say a lot of these people don't go on to college and they just, you know, someone has to deliver pizza or, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. obviously there's going to be a lot of jobs that need to be filled and that everyone's going to go on to, you know, uh, these. Do you think, do you think AmeriCorps, like AmeriCorps is uh, done? Amer- uh, I know a few people, my brother was in, in the Peace Corps. So there's that option. There's also mm-hmm. America. There, there are a number of these options. So, so just generally, do we think that those that you at during that age group, you have a choice. You're going, you're military, you're Peace Corps, you're America, you're doing something that is building the country. Is that exactly? It's an investment. Once you're invested in it, then you'll protect it in other ways throughout the rest of your life. Yeah. And also how about that that commitment oh. to the constitution you were talking about, right? You right that right that that well, um, both is to protect. Exactly. And so, but most people don't even right, most people grow up without that level, the without out that clear-eyed commitment to the ba- the fundamentals of what this country is about. And 
And and meanwhile, they want to have the trappings of military, like these fucking militia guys, right? They go and buy AR-15s and wear, oh, and buy, you know, and I'll buy, and but they buy all this expensive gear, expensive right? Awesome. And they're and, and they're completely out, they're completely out of shape. And and then they go and do shit that's completely like insurrectionist. So right. it's like, you know, what the fuck, you know? And, well, there's and that, no excuse for that. I mean, that uh, I think we said it on our podcast last week, uh, Chuck, the new one that just came out, and it's like not on my fucking watch. Like you, you can't. No. So so I don't know if you guys watch Fox News at all, or, or I, I do <laughs> because I have to know what they're doing. <laughs> well, you have to know what. Well, I mean. Chuck and I were forced to read this book by Sun Tzu, like called The Art of War. So you have to know what your enemy is doing. Not oh, absolutely. From that perspective. Yeah, from that I'm perspective, yes. Saying. I hear what so, you're saying. Yep. So, so Tucker Carlson is comparing Black Lives Matter. And they're like, but you have to be white and, and, and a racist for it to be called insurrection. No, bitch. All you have to do is attack the Capitol. <laughs> yeah. all, you, all you have to do is be an insurrectionist. That's what, that's what you <laughs> have that to do. <laughs> and it just happened like two days ago. And it's Tucker Carlson. He's like, but Black Lives Matter can punch cops. I don't remember it was during the Capitol. And he, dude, I'm not, I'm kidding you not. And he's just like trying to, and he like makes it seem like Democrats need to get off their ass and stop the hate. Oh God! Democrats want to start a war. Tucker Carlson is one of the worst people in this country. He (laughs) is one of the most spoiled. Infotainment. It's not even. It's not even that. It's um. It's incitement. I mean, he is is a part of the incitement. He's Uh, starting it. He's starting. Well, no, dude. He literally said it like. Democrats want to start a war on us. Oh yeah, comparing I mean, like he's like, oh a, yeah, now we're all white supremacists. Now we're we're just he's like, yep. if you're white in America. Like, yes, Al Qaeda. It's like well, yeah. when, when you when, when, said that if you're like, white when, in America, you're more Trump. You're like Al Qaeda. Well, this is their whole deal: is this um, constant victimology? Mm-hmm. Like um, uh, my buddy Mike Krause has just bought the domain name planned victimhood, right? Because <laughs> that is what these people are doing. Tucker exactly Carlson's right. entire, his entire shtick is white victimology. That's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. And look, as we're, we're getting to the close end of, end of time, but I want to give you both the opportunity to plug your projects uh, because I know Chuck, you have a book coming out, which is fucking amazing. I am, I am honestly in awe because I, I always dream about writing a book, and it is fucking hard to do. Um, and also, you guys have a podcast, so please go plug away. All right, yeah. So my book is called Models and Citizens. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it on Barnes and Noble. You can get it on Kobo, uh, whatever e-reader you've got. You can get it. Um, it's it's a dystopian tale, but there's a lot of hope in it, even though there's also a lot of tragedy. I'm the villain. No, I'm just kidding. Don's not the villain. Don's not the villain. (laughs) But in part two, which is coming out. But it is, it is, I think I'm told that it's entertaining and I've got some very favorable reviews. Um, So I think, I think you'll find it, uh, find it at least interesting. Hopefully you'll find a little bit insightful about society as well. Um, Awesome. So, but really podcast, by the way, is what what Don's been talking about. And you can, uh, you know, honestly, Don, you talk you, you do a better job of this. Why don't you go and plug that? Son of a bitch. I... <laughs> God. Yeah, but if I wasn't a Marine and have so much tact for my sergeant, 
I would. But anyways, check us out. We're called But Really Podcast. We're on Spotify. Uh, I think Joe Rogan is sponsoring us. Ah, no, I'm just kidding. Shout out to Joe Rogan. Anyways, <laughs> uh, we also have a Facebook. You can check us out. It's called But Really Podcast uh, on Facebook. And uh, definitely, we're doing a lot of good things. And if you guys ever want a recipe or some shit, let us know. Hit us up because we do that shit too. And I was like, but it's uh, just a bunch of uh, military folks talking about the shit that's in the news every day. Um, I mean, we are not really on one side. I just think we lean towards one side because of our policies. Uh, But I like to um, see both sides of the argument and have empathy for the other side as well. Uh, You know, because without that shit, man, uh, you got to have a little bit of love for the other man uh, because yeah, we explore. We do it. We we explore deeply. There has to be some sort of middle ground. And through tough conversations, obviously, you're not going to shake someone and make them realize, you're right. <laughs> but there has to be some sort of middle ground. So this is a watch. conversation that's still ongoing in the podcast. And you can hear us argue about this. Because I <laughs> and this we would and definitely <laughs> argue with you about that. Yeah, yeah. We would definitely <laughs> argue with this you about is, that. This is something that we argue about. So definitely tune in because you don't want to miss that. Awesome. Right, thanks, awesome. Thanks, guys, for having us. We really appreciate it. I had a lot of fun talking to Chuck and Don. Sean, anything stick out for you from that conversation? Well, it's really interesting to kind of just have a chance to chat with guys who are in the military because it's not something that's in my reality at all. Uh, I really I feel like the best thing that they said was sort of wanting everybody to be involved in some kind of national service. I think that mm-hmm. that's my takeaway from the whole thing, that that would really help with the relations between civilians and military. Absolutely. I, I agree with you. That I think was the, my favorite part of the conversation. I think that, uh, and, I, and I do think that there's real value in getting, in terms of the unity we talked about, right, in during the news segment, the, the, the unity that Biden is trying to bring and wants to foster. I think it, that's really difficult when we have a culture of like rugged of, of of like hyper individualism and no sense of of togetherness. And I think that you can get closer to achieving that if you have everyone having to do some level of service, one year, two year, four years, whatever it is. And I think and and I also like the idea of linking it to free college, right? Mm-hmm. And all this sort of thing. And so you get this incentive. And also we're also preparing you then to be a citizen. Right. And right. from both, both, both by through your service and through then your education. Well, you know? it kills, it kills two birds with one stone, right? Because you, you got to figure out how do we get Americans to want to jump on a grenade for each other? Like right. they figured that out in the Marines. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we, we need to figure out how, how, like my neighbor who voted for somebody else, you know, why is he going to jump on a grenade for me or I for him? And, yep. and, and then it ties back into our, the modern monetary thing about a federal jobs guarantee, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And again, again, right, the federal job, that's such a great point, right? Because that, again, that fosters the concept of community, right, Mm -hmm. of togetherness. And that is what is obviously sorely lacking in this country, you know, the sense of being into it, in it together. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Well, it has been a great show. So um, 
thank you, uh, Don, and thank you, Sean, and thank you, Chuck, and thank you, everyone, for being here. Once again, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to give us a five-star review on Apple and write us a nice review there as well. And tell your friends and family about our show. Word of mouth really matters. And look, thanks, everybody, again, for being here. And remember that wherever you are, you can be radically secular. You've been listening to The Radical Secular, a podcast dedicated to the separation of church and state and the pursuit of justice. For full video episodes, please subscribe to our YouTube channel.